Hosea 10 contains further indictments or explanations of their sins and the threats of punishment. Chapter 10, verse 1. Israel is a luxuriant vine. He produces fruit for himself. The more his fruit, the more altars he made. The richer his land, the better he made the sacred pillars. Their heart is faithless. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their sacred pillars. Surely now they will say, We have no king, for we do not revere the Lord. As for the king, what can he do for us? They speak mere words. With worthless oaths they make covenants, and judgment sprouts like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. The inhabitants of Samaria will fear for the calf of Beth Aven. Indeed, its people will mourn for it, and its idolatrous priests will cry over it, over its glory, since it has departed from it. The thing itself will be carried to Assyria as tribute to King Jareb. Ephraim will be seized with shame, and Israel will be ashamed of its own counsel. Samaria will be cut off with her king, like a stick on the surface of the water. Also the high places of Aven, the sin of Israel, will be destroyed. Thorn and thistle will grow on their altars. Then they will say to the mountains, Cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. From the days of Gibeah you have sinned, O Israel. There they stand. Will not the battle against the sons of iniquity overtake them in Gibeah? When it is my desire, I will chastise them, and the peoples will be gathered against them when they are bound for their double guilt. And Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh, but I will come over her fair neck with a yoke. I will harness Ephraim. Judah will plow. Jacob will harrow for himself. So with a view to righteousness, reap in accordance with kindness. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. You have plowed wickedness, you have reaped injustice, you have eaten the fruit of lies, because you have trusted in your way, in your numerous warriors. Therefore, a tumult will arise among your people, and all your fortresses will be destroyed, as Shalman destroyed Beth Arbel on the day of battle, when mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. Thus it will be done to you at Bethel because of your great wickedness. At dawn, the king of Israel will be completely cut off. Amen. Verse 1, Israel is a luxuriant vine. He's a productive vine in that he has much fruit in his life. The fruit here is not spiritual fruit. It is material and physical fruit. He has produced a lot. His nation is wealthy. The the nation has many material possessions, many riches. The problem, however, is that with their riches, with their wealth, the more his fruit or his wealth, the more altars he made. The richer his land, the better he made the sacred pillars. When they had money, they didn't use their money for the glory of God. They used their money to worship idols. 
They made idols and altars dedicated to idols. So the wealth that God gave to them, they misused, misused and abused that wealth, exploiting their situation for themselves and, and, and not to please God, worshiping idols instead of the true and living God. That's a common sin. What resources, what wealth, what knowledge, wisdom, abilities God has given us, instead of using them for God, we use them for our sin. Verse 2, their heart is faithless, a faithless heart. Well, they give lip service to the Lord. So if their heart is faithless, then they are double-minded, unstable in all their ways, James 1.8 if they are faithless, then they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient, worthless for any good deed, Titus 1.16. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Luke 6.46. That's the faithless heart, the heart that is double-minded or double-hearted, double-tongued, uh, two-faced, that's the, double, that's the heart that's faithless. Because the heart is faithless, and that's the root of the problem, now they must bear their guilt. If the heart isn't transformed and then conformed to the image of Christ, it will bear guilt. It will experience punishment. People need a new heart, and if they don't have it, they will be punished. There's no compromise. There's no mitigation. It will happen. And God will be the one. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their sacred pillars. What they erected in the place of God, God will destroy those very objects of worship. These altars are altars to the idols and the sacred pillars. These sacred pillars or standing stones, these are also worshipped by them. In the English, it doesn't say it explicitly, but if you check pictures of these pillars, sacred pillars, sacred pillars, you will find that they have a certain shape. And if you think about the shape, you will see clearly that they are in the shape of a penis. The phallic symbol, they worship that. They worship because that's the source of power, source of um, fertility. This is what they are worshiping. The sacred pillars, they worship that. And even today, in some places in the world, they worship that idol, that symbol, such as in India. They worship they call it the phallic symbol, P-H-A-L-L-I-C, phallic symbol, sacred pillar. Israel did the same, and many nations have done the same throughout history. But this is all detestable to God. Verse 3, Surely now they will say, We have no king, for we do not revere the Lord. As for the king, what can he do for us? A time will come, and soon in Hosea's lifetime, 
that they will say, we have no king, for we do not revere the Lord. Their king will be taken away. But then they're going to be so brazen, they're going to say, as for the king, what can he do for us? After all, we didn't really need him anyways. Well, you did ask for him in the first place. That's how you received King Saul. You asked for him in the first place, and now he's going to be taken away, and then you're going to say, well, I don't really need him. This is what people do. They make excuses when judgment comes. Verse 4, they speak mere words. Here's the empty speech here. Verse 4, they speak mere words, worthless oaths. By, by these worthless oaths, they make covenants. So they say what they plan to do, but they don't really intend to do those things. They're full of lies. Even making solemn covenants. A covenant is no simple matter. It's no light matter. It's a covenant. It's a serious agreement. But they don't mean to fulfill them. And then judgment sprouts like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. The things that they decree and judge, decide in their society, it's like poisonous weeds sprouting up and wreaking havoc on the field. That's what their sin does. When they lie and when they practice justice, it's injustice. That's what he means. It ends up being poisonous weeds. Verse 5, The inhabitants of Samaria will fear for the calf of beth Indeed, its people will mourn for it, and its idolatrous priests will cry over it, over its glory, since it has departed from it. The thing itself will be carried to Assyria as tribute to King Jareb. Ephraim will be seized with shame, and Israel will be ashamed of its own counsel. Verse 5, the people of Samaria... And why Samaria? Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom. And they built idols in the capital. And here he calls it, in that region, the calf of Beth-Aven. Beth-Aven, another place, another city. But they put up a calf there. They made a calf. This started way back in the book of 1 Kings 12 with Jeroboam. He started this worship. And it continues to the time of Hosea. This is about 200 years later in Hosea's time. They're still worshiping the calf. But the calf is going to disappear. The idolatrous priests that Jeroboam stationed there, instituted and stationed there, they're all going to be crying and weeping and wailing and howling because their calf is gone. Their idol couldn't save himself. Because the, the idol, verse 6, is going to be dragged off to Assyria. The ones who conquer them are going to take their idols, their precious possessions, because the idols can't withstand the power of the Assyrians. So they're going to be dragged off. And it's going to be taken as a tribute to the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria will receive them, and he's going to be able to say, I am a stronger God than the gods I defeated in the land of Israel. I have stronger gods helping me 
in the heavens than Israel has because I defeated them and now they are here. That's what he's going to do. This also happened, for example, in the book of, of uh, Daniel, Daniel chapter 1, where they take the possessions of Judah and put them in the temple of Nebuchadnezzar. Well, further, because of this, Ephraim or Israel, Ephraim being a synonym for the nation of Israel, they will be ashamed, will be seized with shame. Israel will be ashamed of its own counsel. Some of the people are going to recognize that whatever advice they consulted ended up being destructive. It really did the opposite of what their advisors told them. That's the irony of it. They're seeking peace. They're seeking prosperity. They're seeking the, the things of the world from their counselors, their advisors, and they are giddy after those things, but suddenly it's all taken away. All taken away. Verse 7, Samaria will be cut off with her king like a stick on the surface of the water. Cut off, taken away. The king the, or the kingdom of the northern kingdom, S Samaria being the capital, that kingdom ended in 722 B.C. The last king, his name was Hosea, actually the same name as this prophet. Um, in the Bible, it's usually spelled with an H, H-O-S-H-E-A, for the king and the prophet like this. But he's predicting that there's going to be no more kingdom, no more dynasties. And that's true. After that happened in 722 BC, when the Assyrian Empire destroyed them, they never became a kingdom ever again. All gone. Like a stick on the surface of the water, just drifts away, goes away, especially if it's a, a rapid. Verse 8. Also, the high places of Aven, the sin of Israel, will be destroyed. Thorn and thistle will grow on their altars. Then they will say to the mountains, cover us and to the hills, fall on us. The high places, what's at the high places? On the hills and mountains, they build shrines and altars. They put their idols there. And now he says, they're all going to be destroyed and those localities will be infested with thorns and thistles. Thorns and thistles. This phrase, thorns and thistles, does it not remind us of Genesis 3, 3, 17 to 19? The curse on the ground occurred because of the curse on man. God punished Adam and Eve and all of us with this kind of a curse on creation or the ground. There weren't thorns and thistles before sin, but after sin, a part of the curse is for creation to produce thorns and thistles, poisonous weeds, and so forth. And he says, these are now going to overtake those lush and well-maintained areas around your false altars on the mountains and hills. 
you're going to be so desperate. You're going to be so desperate. Your life is going to be so miserable. You're going to despair of life so much that you're going to say, cover us and fall on us. The people want to die. They want to die and they, would, they say here, it's better if a natural disaster happens and I'm destroyed in it suddenly like that rather than being captured by the enemy, stripped naked and sent off with soldiers all around me, sent off naked, all walking miles and miles and even hundreds of miles to foreign lands in humiliation and then becoming their slave there. It's better than them torturing me to death. So they say, cover us and fall on us to the mountains and hills. We want to die. Verse 9, from the days of Gibeah you have sinned, O Israel. There they stand. Will not the battle against the sons of iniquity overtake them in Gibeah? Remember from last chapter, verse 9, chapter 10, verse 9, is similar to chapter 9, verse 9. Chapter 9, verse 9, when he, they say, when he says about them, they have gone deep into depravity as in the days of Gibeah. And we said that likely he means the tragedies that happened in Gibeah of Benjamin. Gibeah was a city in the tribe of Benjamin near Jerusalem. And in Judges 19 to 21, Judges 19 to 21, the men of Gibeah, they raped the, the wife of a Levite. They raped and murdered her. And in his disgust, he chopped her in 12 pieces and sent a piece of her to the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes heard of this heinous sin that the uh, men of Gibeon perpetrated against the woman. And they were just so disgusted that a civil war ensued. But before the civil war ensued, they gave, the rest of the tribes gave Benjamin a chance to repent. But they didn't repent. They stood firm in their obstinance and then eventually were destroyed in that civil war. So that very few of them were left. Only 600 men in the whole tribe were left. 600. They were desperate and almost obliterated. So... We believe he is referring to that incident of Gibeah. It's going to be like that. Verse 10. When it is my desire, I will chastise them, and the peoples will be gathered against them when they are bound for their double guilt. God is the one in due time who will carry out his desire. And when he chastises them, it will happen. God has a time. Today is the day of salvation. The day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Call upon me while I am near. These are the words of Scripture. But when it's too late, it's too late. People don't consider that it could be too late. 
They think they have all the time in the world. But here he says, when it is my desire, I will chastise them. When means there's going to be a time. Further, God is the one who collects the people's, the pagan, idolatrous peoples who will humiliate those people, the people of Israel, who bear the name of the Lord. That will happen. And that's going to be utterly humiliating to them. Further, what did they do wrong? They have a double guilt. What does the double guilt mean? Perhaps it's similar to what Jeremiah said. They're guilty for two things. Jeremiah. Jeremiah 2, 13. We'll actually start at verse 11 so that we understand what he's talking about. Jeremiah 2, 11. Has a nation changed gods when they are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and shudder. Be very desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. What are the two evils? They first forsook the Lord, who is the fountain of living waters, Then they resorted to broken cisterns that can hold no water. Well, who or what are the broken cisterns in this illustration? It's the gods, the idols, verse 11. The idols that they chose. So they rejected the Lord and they chased idols. Those are the two evils and therefore they are doubly guilty. Verse 11, Hosea 10, 11. Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh, but I will come over her fair neck with a yoke. I will harness Ephraim. Judah will plow. Jacob will harrow for himself. Ephraim is a trained heifer. Well, who trained Ephraim? If this is the Lord who trained Ephraim, God told Ephraim, the nation, what to do. However, Ephraim loved to thresh, likely meaning in the wrong place. Loved to thresh where she could eat. Right? Isn't that, you shall not muzzle the ox while it is threshing? So when threshing, she's able to eat the heifer, so she loves to do that. However, she's not supposed to be uncontrollable. I trained her, but why is she now uncontrollable? And since she is uncontrollable, I will come over her fair neck with a yoke. I will harness Ephraim. That means that once trained, then going into wildness, behaving unruly, God has to then put a yoke, a further yoke on her, and make sure she does what God wants. That's the stubborn, rebellious nature of the people. God will 
um, harness Ephraim in this way. Judah will plow, Jacob will harrow for himself. Judah, now he's mentioning the southern kingdom. Having to plow and Jacob will harrow. Harrow or break up the soil. Break up the soil for himself. The labor is going to be very hard. Very hard labor because they refuse to do the will of God. If they refuse to do the will of God, which will, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my load is light. But the burden of sin is extremely heavy. Extremely heavy. That's what he describes here. Verse 12. Verse 12. So with a view to righteousness, reap in accordance with kindness. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. Now a call to repent. A call to repentance. So with a view to righteousness, reap in accordance with kindness. You should be doing these things to produce fruit, good fruit. Remember what they were doing in chapter 8, verse 7. Chapter 8, verse 7. They sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. They sow sin and they reap the punishments for sin. They sow sin and reap the punishments. Here, the opposite in 10.12, sow righteousness, reap kindness. Right? And the, another, the other aspect of repentance is break up your fallow ground. Break it up. Fallow ground is ground that's hard, dry, and it needs to be broken up for plants to grow. If it's not broken up, the plants won't grow. And that's an image of our human heart, that it's stony, very hard, and stubborn. It needs to be broken up, and it's time to seek the Lord. Seek Him until He comes to reign righteousness. We need His reign of righteousness. R-A-I-N, reign. We need that. If we don't have His righteousness, we have no righteousness. He has to reign on us. We can't depend on our righteousness. We need His, the source of all good and righteousness. Verse 13, you have plowed wickedness, you have reaped injustice. This verse, verse 13, is similar to Hosea 8, 7. Sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. They plowed wickedness and they reaped injustice. How are they going to have peace, tranquility, justice, righteousness in their nation when they plow wickedness? It can't, it can't happen that way. Verse 13, because you have trusted in your way in your numerous warriors, therefore a tumult will arise among your people and all your fortresses will be destroyed as Shalman destroyed Beth Arbel on the day of battle when mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. They trusted in their own way, their own wisdom, instead of God's way, God's wisdom. That's the fundamental human problem. 
we think we are wiser than God. We think we are wiser than the Holy Spirit. We think we are wiser than Scripture. And that's our downfall right there. We need to know His will, not our will. We already know our will, and our will is perverse. We need to do His will. And their trust in themselves is manifested in trusting their numerous warriors. But doesn't God say all over the place in Scripture not to trust in the strength of man, not to trust in the horse, not to trust in the, in the sword, not to trust in the military might? Remember in the time of Gideon, he taught them a very, a very important lesson. He, he, he sifted through the army of Gideon until only 300 soldiers were left. Even though the enemy had an innumerable number of soldiers on the field. Only 300. He was teaching them, don't trust in your own wisdom and your own strength. Don't trust, trust in God. But even though they have numerous warriors, there's going to be a tumult because they're all going to be defeated. There's going to be a massacre of the soldiers and their fortresses will be destroyed. And if you want to know an example, Shalman, this Shalman is most likely Shalmaneser, a short form of Shalmaneser, the king of Assyria, he has already destroyed Beth Arbel, so they have an example already. And this Beth Arbel is in their land. He already came, he made an incursion, and he defeated this town. And what did he do there? Mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. That's how ruthless he was. He did this, and they didn't learn from it. He did this and they thought, we're invincible. He's not going to be able to come farther south. He's not going to be able to come to Samaria. He's not going to be able to do anything more. That's it. This is the, the height of insensitivity when mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. They didn't care for them properly, guide them rightly, and now they're taken away from them. The men didn't care for the women or mothers properly, and now their whole family's gone. They themselves are likely slaves or put to death also. And sometimes they will put your family to death in front of you and then kill you, the man of the house. Slaughter your family before your very eyes and then slaughter you. Verse 15, Thus it will be done to you at Bethel because of your great wickedness. Bethel was the other place. Also, Beth-Aven. Beth-Aven and Bethel are used interchangeably in the prophets. And this is the place of the calf. A calf of Jeroboam was placed here. In Samaria, Ahab and others made that popular for idolatry, but Bethel and Dan, Jeroboam, made those places popular with idolatry. 
But when, when this punishment and this gruesome and heinous punishment in verse 14 happens, is it God's fault? No. Verse 15 says, Thus it will be done to you because of your great wickedness. Whatever punishment comes on us, it is righteous. It's righteous judgment. And lastly, verse 15 At dawn, the king of Israel will be completely cut off. No more kingdom, no more dynasty, no more reign of Hosea or anybody else. Nothing. He says at dawn. Perhaps because at dawn, when when we see the morning light, it gives us a ray of hope. It makes us think, okay, the bright sun is coming. It's going to be a good day. At dawn, when they expect it to be normal and for it to be a good day, suddenly it becomes a bad day at dawn. At dawn, when they were expecting good, evil suddenly comes on them because they didn't expect it. They trusted in horses. They trusted in their warriors. They trusted in their fortresses. They trusted in their idols. They trusted in their own righteousness. But they didn't trust in the Lord. They didn't know the Lord. Therefore, they deserve to be punished. This chapter, it explains their sins, but the well-deserved punishment that God brought on them for their sins. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.